0: You're listening to episode 223 of the 200 Churches Podcast.
1: One of the things I do when I go and speak to groups of pastors is just ask them, how would you end the sentence, I'm not blank enough, or I'm too blank. And we had this moment where people are just calling out, you know, I'm not old enough, I'm not educated enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not male enough, or I'm not, you know, like... I'm too serious. I'm too talkative. I'm too. And they're throwing out all these things. And after a while, many times they actually. We actually start to get things that cancel each other out. So one person feels too young, one person feels too old, one person feels too educated, one person feels not educated enough, and it's a beautiful thing to actually confess these things with one another in the room and to realize we're not the only ones who feel these things. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a fresh episode of ministry encouragement for
0: pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who, like you, serve in the trenches of small church ministry, the Gumby and Pokey of ministry Podcast. Podcasts, Jeff and Johnny.
2: This is the Two Hundred Churches Podcast. My name is Johnny Craig. I'm a small church pastor. How about you, Jeff? Katie, I am a large small church pastor. Johnny,
0: I yes, like I that. am. I like a I large. Small I'm working on getting smaller, though. <laughs> Amen.
2: Am I? What am I? A small small church pastor? Or?
0: You're a you're a thin small church pastor. I
2: just like to put out you know our credibility right on the front end. We are small church
0: pastors. Yeah. Yeah. Angela
2: says it already, though, doesn't she?
0: Yeah, I think she does. Angela We're in the trenches, the trenches or whatever it history. is that she yeah. says.
2: I was just with Angela uh, and her husband the other night, and she was saying, I haven't done any recording for you guys in like a year. You know,
0: she's one of our worship leader people, yes. right? She was on the platform yesterday morning, and after the opening song, she, what did she say? She said, well... Happy, beautiful, wonderful day, everybody. Welcome to Dover Church. Yeah. She's so effervescent and energetic. (laughs) Almost every time I see her on the platform, uh, listeners, I think I ought to give her a new script because we've literally been using the same script for over two years. Yeah. Now, I don't know if our listeners are getting tired of hearing it. I mean, I listen to it every week.
2: Yeah, it's fine.
0: It's... it says what we want to say. A lot
2: of these podcasts have says it have in a just, wonderful way. They always have the same thing. At least it's not like heavily Canadian, like the Carrie Newhoff show. Oh,
0: Carrie Newhoff. My goodness. With like
2: 16 record scratches. I can't... <laughs> Check it out. It's Carrie Newhoff. Oh, come on. That's supposed
0: to... That's, it's in.
2: Ah.
0: I can't wait to get that guy from up in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory, oh. to be a guest on our podcast. We can get so, him to do the intro. That'd be super so, But No, so to get... Together we can mock carrie newhoff oh
2: we love carrie newhoff well, he, he doesn't, doesn't even Kerry. listen it's not like carrie cares no. what we're talking about it's not like carrie's listening to the podcast we are exactly we're right. just jealous love love some carrie newhoff so
0: so today how about mandy smith
2: also love mandy smith mandy smith a
0: pastor from cincinnati ohio yes wasn't there like some radio TV program about a radio station in Cincinnati. Yes.
2: I never I, watched I it. don't
0: know the name. Something, you were too little something,
2: something Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think it was. Oh if you know it and you feel like it, just tweet it to there us. You go. Right? Tweet it to us.
2: Yeah, we had Mandy on episode one hundred and eighty four uh with us and she she did a, such a phenomenal job. We had to have her back. She's talking again about the idea of the vulnerable pastor. Uh, and we get a little bit more practical this time around than we did last time. But Mandy, how would I want to say this? She's just – it flows out of her. This uh, this really great content, this really encouraging word, it just is like the the easiest thing in the world it seems like for her to just share her heart and her mind on these things. And she can just – You say it during the podcast, Mandy, this is just so theological, effortlessly theological. She just like pours out of her. So love having Mandy on. Always love to have somebody from the great Australian Outback join us. You know, I uh,
0: forget. I forget that she's from Australia. Yeah, I think her accent has been mellowed a little bit, right? Because she's been here for so long. Sure, but I just forget that she's from Australia, and she's she is not about being about herself. She is That's so casual and yeah. so comfortable, and even the, what she talks about, you know, she talks about weaknesses and fears and and yeah. things that you know sometimes we don't want to talk about. Yeah, so. Great episode. This is a long episode. Yes, it is. Uh, so we're going to get right to it. Mandy Smith, it's so good to have you back on the 200 Churches podcast.
1: Yeah, it's good to be back. Thank you for having me.
2: Well, thanks for giving us your time. It's been it's been 40 episodes about. The last time you were on was episode wow, 184. Wow, that's a very spiritual number. There you go. I like that.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) I
0: thought, it seems like it's been a lot longer than that. I thought maybe you were on two years ago. No. Wow.
2: But it's been fairly recent. Well,
1: here I am again.
2: So uh, how are things going in Cincinnati? A lot of our listeners came in around 200. We had N.T. Wright on, which was kind of a a big moment
1: (laughs) for Ah. us.
2: So we're going to have listeners today that have not been listening back to 184. So just reintroduce yourself, talk about your church a little bit and how how life is there in Bengals. Country.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you much about the football side of things, I'm afraid, but um, I am Mandy Smith. I'm a lead pastor at University Christian Church, which is by the University of Cincinnati campus, right in the middle of the city here. And we're about a 27 year old congregation, um, running around 300 folks. You know, anyone who does campus ministry knows that that's always coming and going, you know, folks are graduating and arriving yeah. constantly. But we do also have, we're a, a joint uh, kind of ministry na neighbor- working with the neighborhood that's constant, plus the the campus that's always coming and going. And we love the way that they kind of support each other's needs. You know, students really need that family kind of context. One of the things that we're really proud about is that about 14 years ago now, we opened the city's first Fair Trade Cafe. It's a huge space, basically opened up our fellowship hall to the community. So seven days a week, we've got folks in the building and um, having all kinds of arts events and music and local community meetings and it's a it's a really great place to I don't know I feel like it keeps us honest it would be easy I think when we have a building that's closed off and away from the community to um, talk about things and forget that they have to they have to actually make a difference in some way and so when you're having these meetings and then you're and you're sit, sitting right in the middle of of this cafe space it kind of um, forces us constantly to to keep these two things together in our minds at all the time, at all times, yeah, that's that's what's going on there. Um, Man, did Mandy, I cover how, everything?
0: Yeah. How how long have you been the lead pastor there?
1: I have worked for the church for about ten years, but I've been lead pastor for about four now.
0: Okay. Okay, so you you knew what you were coming into. I mean, the the way you just described I'm not the church as much as
1: anybody can. <laughs> well, the,
0: the way <laughs> That's true. The, the way you described it, you know, going back a number of years, you kind of knew what you were coming into. And yeah, maybe I'm actually a product of, of that ministry.
1: Yeah, I I started attending there myself when I was a Bible college student when I was 19. So I've been around the place for a long time, and then started as associate pastor 10 years ago, and then I co led with the lead pastor for about 18 months, and then four years ago stepped into the lead pastor role when he stepped down so yeah it's been it's been a progression and I don't think when I started you know I often say when you get on the bus you God changes the <laughs> the sign at the front, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't probably get on it if you knew where the bus was actually headed. Boy, but... isn't
0: that the truth. Now, yeah. <laughs> now I'm remembering now, you're you're the lead pastor who does not work a full work week at the church. Is that true?
1: Well, this is actually what we're talking about at the moment because um, officially I'm 25 hours a week. Okay. We're realizing that there's really no such thing as a part-time lead pastor and like <laughs> that I bear the weight emotionally and spiritually and you know that I'm writing sermons even when I'm not in the office and how do you how do you define how many hours a week somebody's working when they're constantly praying and thinking about things so this is what we're trying to figure out but officially I have been on I have been um part-time yes
0: Mandy I'm um, so glad you bring that up now this I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hijack the episode at this point but <laughs> uh, you know I think pastors because they're the ones who are listening and this is a podcast to pastors of small churches, they've just been really affirmed because only a pastor and only a lead pastor or a solo pastor knows the burden that you carry Mm -hmm. 168 hours a week. uh, Even, even at times in your sleep, you know, and and no kidding that you're thinking about uh, or interacting with the challenges of your people or your ministry. So I appreciate you saying that 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 even though you're part time, because we have bivocational pastors all all the time saying right. that you know, well, I'm I'm part time here, but you know, how is it ever part time? Because exactly. even at their other job, what are they thinking about? They're thinking about their church ministry. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I, I, I appreciate that.
1: And I'm not sure if I really understood. I don't think I had a lot of value for official leadership roles. When I'm moving from associate pastor to lead pastor, I'm thinking, well, I just get a different title. I don't think, I mean, I knew that there'd be different, some different roles, of course, but the weight that I felt come upon me and the way that my dreams changed and my prayers changed and the way that I felt God, I just, the experience of it was actually what convinced me that God does have a different way of seeing the lead pastor. Not that they're better than anybody else, but there is, there is a way that I, I sense God actually putting putting some value in uh, in someone who's willing to step into that place, and so that's how I started realizing, yeah, there's something there's so, something significant here.
2: That's very cool and also terrifying for an associate pastor yes. to hear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah. someday
2: I can uh, have all that weight.
1: On right, me. right. <laughs> Yeah, it's a strange thing. But if it makes you feel any better, there was a, a kind of love for this place that came over me with the weight, too. So mm. the two go hand in hand. It's similar to having children, you know, that you, like, feel this weight of the responsibility and at the same time such such a deep love for it. And so I think that makes it possible. You're
0: so insightful, Mandy. Now, pastors that are listening... They know this. They come home, they complain to their spouse maybe about a certain situation at church, and then their spouse gets angry,
1: mm. and
0: maybe not maybe not angry, but you know gets appropriately worked up for yeah. you know for the protection of now their pastor spouse, and mm-hmm. it, but then the pastor really love there's a love for the church, yeah, and. But then the spouse is still mad. Our spouses uh-huh. don't have the same love for the church. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> you know, because you're, you're, I mean, you've got this shepherding care yeah. for the congregation, and then when you're already past the the upsetness, and your spouse isn't, and they're like, "Well, I thought I thought you were upset with so and so," and you're like, "Oh, no, well, I have to, actually I've forgiven them a long time ago," and and it changes the way you learn how to talk to your spouse. about your church family yes yes and
1: and thinking about what is actually good for them to to bear with you and what what is more than they can handle or that they need to be carrying with you so yeah yeah we've had to learn that it's been interesting for us given that there's not really any models out there for what it means to be a pastor's spouse when you're the husband and so my husband my husband has actually been a lead pastor himself so it's it's kind of an we've both been The preacher's wife, basically. (laughs) Um, But he's watched me in that role, and he's watched how it's very different for him than it was for me. So we've had to have lots of conversations about that.
2: These dynamics, the pastoral dynamics, are very interesting. And, you know, I can only—and this will actually tie into your book, but I can only understand— My experience from the pastoral dynamics I've had as the associate pastor, and you know, as as a pastor who has a young family right now, and all these things, and as a man, and and as an extrovert, and you even write in your book, "The Vulnerable Pastor," that you know what happens if you are a leader who doesn't look like the ideal leader that culture would pick. So you said, you know, I'm an outsider because you're uh, Australian, right? And mm-hmm. you're a woman, right? And maybe we think of leadership and we think of men. You're an introvert, right? Culture values extroverts, I think. Yeah. Um, and so what does that look like? And it's good for me to hear other perspectives on pastoring and realize, man, I don't have the a corner on the market of what it means to be a pastor. And to listen mm-hmm. to your experiences, um, I think, is very valuable. So anyway, maybe that'll just be a new podcast, uh, the Pastoral Experience podcast. But as far as leadership goes... You were on episode 184 with us, and you introduced your book, The Vulnerable Pastor, and uh, I was listening to that again today, trying to get my head around what we would talk about, and I told you that you were a hybrid of of Eugene Peterson, Henry Nowen, and uh, Brennan Manning. I think that's why you said you'd come back on the podcast, right?
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah, three of my heroes. Wow. We butter up our guests. Eugene Peterson, Brennan Manning, and Henry Nowen. throw in Thomas Merton, and you've you've got a deal. (laughs) I think, perfect, (laughs) a little Thomas
2: Merton. So those are, you know, that that's like maybe that's what we think of when we think of uh, leaders or whatever. So in your book, you talk about being a vulnerable pastor. And on episode 184, like I said, we talked about kind of the first half of the book, which is getting to that place where you recognize your vulnerability. You said everybody mm-hmm. is vulnerable, right? It's just coming to that place where you recognize it. And then the second half of your book kind of gets into, I would say practical, but it's still it's still not like you gave us bullet lists of things to do, which I suppose Mm -hmm. is intentional. Um, But it's more practical. It's how vulnerable leaders recruit other leaders, how vulnerable leaders use their time and energy, and then how vulnerable pastors measure success. So I want to just start with that first one, Um, how vulnerable leaders recruit other leaders. And I think right off the bat, I would say how do you think we are misdefining leadership within the church and how would you redefine leadership?
1: Mm, good question. Well, just to be clear for the readers uh, the listeners who haven't listened to that first one uh, yet um when I say vulnerable, you know there's been a lot of conversation about this recently and Brene Brown has done some really great work on it and um, it includes but is not limited to feeling vulnerable. so saying things about how you feel and and letting yourself be be seen behind the scenes, um, is a part of what we're talking about here. But for me, I'm talking, when I say vulnerable, I'm talking about just the whole experience of being vulnerable, being a human being, um, lim- knowing our limitation and feeling tired, sometimes running out of ideas, getting old, getting sick, um, all of the things that make us remember that we're human beings and which we're often ashamed of and which our culture tells us is not okay. And so um, coming back to the question then, um what I'm trying to do with the book is is explore if it truly is the case that God has called human beings to partner with him in ministry, which is a huge mystery, really, when you think about it. He's a much better communicator than we ever could be, and yet throughout Scripture and throughout the history of the church and in our lives today, he is longing for human beings to partner with him in this work. And the only thing I can figure out is that he needs, he wants our humanness. That's the thing he doesn't have, you know, um, that he wants to speak to human beings through the medium of human life and hu- human experience if we'll only let him. And so this, um, these chapters that you mentioned are exploring what does that actually look like if we really... Is it possible? Could it be true that God really calls human beings and actually expects us and wants us to lead as human beings? And so kind of going backwards, um, it reminds me sometimes of how I don't know if you did this, but when I was a kid before I could count money and you just go to the candy store and say like, what can I get with this? You know, This <laughs> sure. feels to me like that where you say like, well, here's the energy and the time and the ideas and the gifts that I have. What what can I get with this? You know, which is the opposite of here are all the goals of what I think I should be and do and accomplish. Um, how can I stretch myself to, to fulfill those goals? I think that answers your question. Just, you know, exploring I guess the uh, you had said like how have we redefined it and I I think it's it's that setting of goals before we actually look at wh- what we are and who we are and I believe that if we actually bring what we are to to the lord and say here I you know it's like the boy with the loaves and the fishes it's saying hmm. I see the crowd I see I have crumbs God's going to have to do something big here, you know. And yeah. uh, that's where the miracle happens, that we get to behold and that the whole community gets invited into. So um, I think that would that's what I the core of what I'm trying to call us back to in redefining um, what leadership would be, that it needs to be based on this understanding that we are limited humans and that God can somehow work in us and through us and because of us and in spite of us.
0: We often think that we're to be like God and that we're to be godly. And what you're saying is vulnerability is, is embracing the humanly, uh, you know, yes. the human yes. part of us, because to be human is to be limited, and to be vulnerable is just to own that and right. recognize and even, that. Right, and
1: even Jesus, you know, it's hard to wrap our minds around the possibility that he was both God and human, but he confesses his need for the Father constantly, And I think actually a lot of his temptation in the wilderness has to do with a temptation to avoid the ways that he is a limited human being. So you're right. Our call is not to be God. (laughs) And I think that's what happens. That's what goes wrong in, in the garden, you know, that Adam and Eve want to know as God knows. Our call is to need God. Our call is to rely on God. Our call is to take on his characteristics um, but not to be him.
0: So I can see a lot of small church pastors uh, bemoaning on the, on the inside the fact that they're not better than they are in you know mm-hmm. fill in the blank you name the yeah. way that they would like to be better because if they were better than they were their church would be better than it is and yeah. and yet to be vulnerable again is just to to just to own who we are and to exactly. recognize. I like what you said, too, that God, God is working his purposes through us, and he's decided to work through human beings mm-hmm. and not replicate himself. I'm not that, I don't know, God could do anything, right? Can he replicate himself and make other gods? You know, but, but this is not what he did. He made mm-hmm. human beings, and if he created us to be human, we should embrace our humanity and not constantly compare ourselves with Him in a right. way that demotes us from where He even put us.
1: Absolutely. And I think actually um, some of our greatest sin comes from the things that we do when we are confronted with the facts—the fact that we're not God. And the shame that we feel around our limitation actually makes us violent and manipulative and just not not who we're supposed to be. Um, And it's it's a beautiful – one of the things I do when I go and speak to groups of pastors is just ask them, how would you end the sentence, I'm not blank enough or I'm too blank? And we had this moment where people are just calling out, you know, I'm not old enough, I'm not educated enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not um, male enough, or I'm not, you know, like I'm too serious, I'm too talkative, I'm too – and they're throwing out all these things. And after a while, many times they actually – we actually start to get – things that cancel each other out. So one person feels too young, one person feels too old, one person feels too educated, one person feels not educated enough. And it's a beautiful thing to actually confess these things with one another in the room and to realize we're not the only ones who feel these things. And um, to just have a moment, I see a weight lifted often when we have these conversations, to see a moment where people say like, okay, if I if I wait until I feel enough, before I feel like God can use me, then I'm I'm never going to be used by him. And so what does it look like for us to bring our not-enoughness? And this is where, you know, we come back to this promise that in our weakness he is strong, and so we have to let our weakness be seen for it to be obvious that he's the one who's doing the work. But that's terrifying, and that's what I spend a lot of the book trying to explore. Well, how do we actually do that? And uh, I've found so much healing personally and freedom, and uh, I'm watching my staff find peace and freedom in that too. So it's it's true.
2: That's very cool, and I, and I like um, that picture that you used of the room full of people calling out what they're not mm-hmm. enough of. You talk about how to how to recruit how to how to uh, recruit other leaders. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. recruiting and equipping other leaders, and uh, you say basically there's a there's a mold that we think we should look for. You know, X type of person is a mm-hmm. leader and you look for X type of person. But you're almost, you're pulling a Malcolm Gladwell a little bit with us here, Mandy. And you're <laughs> saying, look outside the mold and what you really are going to find is people who are filled to the brim with capability and with potential mm-hmm. in, in their brokenness and in their humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, talk to a small church pastor who is, who's feeling like I don't have any leaders in my church because they're stuck looking for, you know, uh, um, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, right? Who, you know, <laughs> where where do they look instead? Talk to that pastor and yeah. you know, what do you what do you say into that situation?
1: Right, that's a good question. Yeah, and I should actually say that if you Google, I love doing a Google image search to just see like what do people think of when they think of this? And so if you Google church leader you usually do get the kind of charming, handsome, thirty-something-year-old guy. So you know? get me, yeah. That's yeah. Fine. And um, I so I don't want to say like if if that's you, which it is <laughs> in your case, there's nothing wrong with you. Like I'm not trying to flip to another extreme now. <laughs> no,
2: I understand. I just
1: that. want to expand. Yes, um, yes, good. Well, I, I, yeah, I have to be careful because. I, I don't, yeah, I just don't want to say, well, now we're going to get rid of all of you guys and now it's our turn, you know, we're overthrowing <laughs> sure. you or something. But just to expand our imagination of what leadership is and, you know, if you look throughout scripture, it's it's there's a lot of outcasts and people who are too young and too old and the wrong gender or the wrong nationality and outsiders and um, that God uses and Like with David, when he slays Goliath, there's a way in which we're able to say, well, that doesn't make any sense. He can't do that in his own strength, so of course there must be something else at work here. I think that it is important for us when we're looking for folks in our communities to be stepping into leadership. You know, you can learn skills, you can learn practical things, but it's very hard to to change people's hearts. And so to begin with people who... Just know their need for the Lord and know how to pray and rely on Him, I would take that person any time, and so sometimes that means people who are quite broken because you know it 's often the pain in our lives or the way that we're marginalized that actually teaches us how to need the Lord in deeper ways. And so those people are not the strong people that we might normally be looking for, for leadership. But I also talk about how oftentimes this is going to mean also that we're going to have to really walk alongside people. And we go often to the from one extreme of, I'm going to do it all by myself, or I'm going to drop somebody else in the deep end and, and totally release my involvement in this. But the harder thing for me is what I think is actually what we're called to, which is walking alongside of somebody and giving them a little bit more at a time and stretching them and checking back in and saying, how did that go? How did you feel about that? How can I pray for you? Um, I'm watching how that's, you know, I've got a lot of 20 and 30 somethings in my congregation and um, I'm watching how they're just stepping up and taking on things that, I, I guess I never would have seen them doing before, so it's a beautiful thing it does it does work, but it it does take a lot of it takes some kind of stretching of our imaginations and also that patience to walk alongside of them.
0: So Mandy, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Uh, finish the sentence. The most important thing that a vulnerable leader needs to remember when recruiting other leaders is I guess
1: we- yeah, look for somebody who um who knows how to rely on the Lord. Because honestly, that's what gets me through leadership the most, every single morning getting up and saying, I can't do this by myself. <laughs> and I wonder sometimes if I'd be a pagan if I didn't actually have this kind of work, which forces me to work outside of my capacity every single day. Hmm. And it's actually that constant reliance on him. And so I guess that's what I would say, find it, people who know who know their, their need for the Lord.
0: I like that. And it is true. I've thought, I've told my wife before, if I weren't a pastor— would I still be going to church? If I'd never <laughs> went into ministry, would I still be a Christian? I mean, you use the term pagan. That's uh, that's that's pretty severe. <laughs> would I be a pagan if I weren't a pastor? I, I'd i like to think not. But You would uh, like to sacrifice the cats at least.
1: That was a little extreme, perhaps.
0: <laughs> but. No, but what we do, we have those feelings, though.
1: But here's the thing. If we are watching our own faith be stretched by the way that we – Have to rely on him in our work. Then why wouldn't we disciple people by letting their faith be stretched in that way and inviting them into the work, even though it's going to be hard or terrifying or beyond what they think they can do? And the people that some of the people that I've watched grow the most are people who've, whether they're lay people or or um, paid staff, who have been put in a place where they just feel like this is beyond them. And yet they've watched God work.
2: You said in this chapter, you know, that you're wary of people who are like chomping at the bit for leadership positions. I tend to see someone who's got a lot of maybe overconfidence, a little too much bombast, a little too anxious to get into that place. And and I agree with you. I I think that it can be a dangerous thing and, mm-hmm. and a scary thing because what How is that person going to be leading and working you know out of what they feel confident in or you know out of something else and that' that's, right. that's a good word
1: and honestly, I mean leadership it's very glamorous when you aren't in it, but the the reality of it is you get to be the one who pours yourself out the most, you know you get to be the one who gets the phone calls in the middle of the night and who's crying in the shower because you're worried about people or whatever you know you know how it is, yeah. And so I think that it's mostly that I feel like people who are really hungry for leadership for the sake of leadership, yeah, might need to check their motivation to be sure that they're wanting it for the right reasons.
2: We have a, a woman in our church who is a, a brilliant artist. Um, it's like it just exudes out of her. It's really incredible. You and I were talking about art before we started recording and I said, you know, my skill set is in the three-year-old range. She's She's <laughs> just like an amazing artist. And I asked her, you know, I, I kind of, I saw the way she was with, with other people and with kids. And I said, I think that you would be great in, in helping us in our kids ministry, you mm-hmm. know, leading in some way within the kids ministry. And she was so um, hesitant and she mm-hmm. insisted that she couldn't teach kids. She couldn't mm. teach kids. All she could do with kids is do art with kids. She is the most brilliant teacher i think we have in That's the church great. and she doesn't even know she's teaching to this day i think if i said to her you know you're doing an amazing job teaching she would say oh no no we're just we're just having fun we're just right she creates Which is the best. exactly yeah. exactly she creates these environments and these activities and and this whole aura around kids where they're wow. just enveloped in the love of god and uh wow
1: yeah, so they don't even know they're learning. Exactly. So the love of God is going to be equated with fun for them. What better right. thing could you do?
2: Right. And I think of her when I when I read this chapter, and I think, yeah, I, I was on a whim. I mean, I, di- I didn't have any great insight. I just thought, man, what she's got going on would be great with our kids. And, yeah, that's uh,
1: wonderful. Yeah.
2: So anyway. Love it. So chapter eight was all about recruiting other leaders. And this is The Vulnerable Pastor, and everybody should go buy it right now on Amazon. Uh, buy two copies, buy the digital copy. And do you even get royalties at this point? How does this even work? If if somebody buys a book, you're going to get like a quarter or something.
1: It's surprising. You know, before I ever published a book, I thought that all of the money went to the writer and there's actually a lot of stuff that the publisher has to do to get this thing to print. And to, you know, there's a lot of people involved in getting it to print. So I'm happy for them to, um, to take their piece. But I, um, you base I mean if you want to know the details of behind the scenes you usually get a you usually get an advance in the beginning which is kind of like royalties up front so they give you a chunk a lump sum okay. and then um, the first like 5000 copies or something like that you don't get paid for because you've already been paid up front and then after that you start getting royalties gotcha so I'm not there yet I don't think We're but... going
2: to sell you 5000 books everybody's got to go buy this thing we we'll get you, Yeah we'll get I you honestly
1: royalties. it's it's like such a blessing to me that somebody a that God has helped me see these things in ways that are so freeing and be that somehow I figured out a way to put them into words and see that somebody else would want to read it. So, um, yeah. if somebody wants to pay for it, that's, that's like beyond my imagination, but I'm glad to see that people are enjoying it.
2: It's a great. It's a great book. Well, I, we don't. We don't lot.
0: push our own books, and we we have. We with, don't write our own books with glee and delight. <laughs> we push other people's books. Yeah, so this is a good one. This it is a, one. a really good book, Mandy.
2: So you you get in next into how vulnerable leaders use their time and energy. Talk to me about shooting shouldi- shooting yourself,
1: <laughs> mm, shooting on yourself. Yeah, <laughs> I think
2: you know. Reading it, it doesn't. When I say it out loud, it's different than yes, when I, know. I read it. That's-
1: <laughs> I think it's actually from a Brennan Manning book, so I can't take full responsibility for that one. But um, it kind of does feel a little bit like what it sounds like too when you do it to yourself because it's um, just piling up stuff on yourself that's not pleasant. So yeah, I think without even naming it, we all have this I should that we say to ourselves constantly and maybe we even think that we're the only ones who do it. So for me, I actually learned it from a time of depression when um, I just couldn't keep up with my own expectations for myself anymore and I, and I I, suddenly started naming all the shoulds and it was not kind and some of them were even in conflict with one another. And so it was good to have a chance to name them and and I encourage you if you're listening, you know, that might be helpful to actually say like, like even silly little things like I feel like I should know all of my kids' friends, you know, when they're in elementary school, all of their friends and all of their friends' parents' names and all of the siblings of my kids' friends. Hmm. I feel like I should know all those names oh, and man. I feel like I should, you know, like all these, there's the small things but this all takes time and energy and like I've I felt like I have to cook everything from scratch. Anytime anybody comes into my house for any meal, everything should be cooked from scratch and like – I don't know where we pick up these things. but And then in ministry, of course, we have so many, you know, I feel like I should, how long in your own mind should it take between when you get a phone call or an email and when you should have responded to it and how much do you expect that you should be caring for everybody and I should, I should, I should, you know, I should have my sermon written by Wednesday or whatever. And um, these aren't necessarily from the Lord, <laughs> you know. In fact, I think some mm-hmm. of them are from the enemy. And um, if we don't name them, then we don't have an opportunity to actually bring them to the light and ask if they're even doable or kind. And um, we also have a tendency, I think, if we don't name them, to assume we're the only ones who who have these expectations that we put upon ourselves. And so it's really freeing to actually just stop and think, what are my expectations of how I spend my time and my energy and and who gets my attention and who doesn't? Because at some point we're going to have to just say, I just can't. I physically cannot, my emotions and my spirit and my heart and my mind cannot keep up with all of the shoulds.
0: See, there's a reason why the shoulda, coulda, woulda is a phrase. There's a reason why. Yeah. Because, yep. yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda, whatever, I didn't, I didn't, and so let's, I'll beat myself up and then you all beat me up over it, yep. and then we'll try to figure it out. So you said, you said name the shoulds or list your shoulds. And you said when you did that, some were even in conflict with each other. Right. Right. You know, you want to be up all night working. You want to sleep all night and exactly. get a good night's rest. Yeah. So, and those are that's really interesting. And I, I guess I don't want to skip over that too quickly for our listeners and say, Pastors, uh, maybe you should list all of your shoulds. Now that's a should right there. Right? <laughs> now, that's a good now should now I'm now I'm doing it. But but maybe that would be helpful to reduce your should list.
1: And it's the kind of thing that even when we sit down to do it, it may not come to us right away because there's so much just a knee-jerk kind of habit. So to maybe give yourself a week, to just pay attention to how you're responding to things throughout the week and come back and add it to the list as you notice it because they're they're not even conscious often.
2: So you worked through your should list, and then you decided you were going to start cutting out some of these superfluous things?
1: Mm. Well, sadly, they're not actually superfluous. Like even some things that I think are really important, I just can't do as often as I think. Okay. So it would be much easier to notice, you know, to choose what to cut if it was superfluous. That's a hard word to say, superfluous. (laughs) So yeah, I just kind of, this sounds very technical, but I kind of like put them in order of importance, crossed off any that were just ridiculous and started handing out energy and time starting at the top and when I got to the end of my time and energy I was like well I'm being reminded of how human I am here because even some things that I think are really important I just cannot get to. And I think one of them was like exercising every day, so I do it three times a week instead of every day. And being up with the news. I can't. I can't know everything that's happening all the time. And so now I subscribe to a weekly kind of update news magazine. And it's humbling to actually figure out that even our own ideals of how we should use our time we can't live up to, but it's freeing.
0: So what are you learning, Mandy, in connection with this idea that you can't be a lead pastor in 25 hours a week? What are you learning about that and intersect it with this idea of how to use your time and energy?
1: I think I'm learning that so much of our work as pastors is, is really personal, emotional, spiritual kind of work. And There are big decisions that need to be made, which we probably could make quite simply if it wasn't also part of the job that God is changing us even as we're doing this work. And so for me, I have to lay myself down before the Lord and say, what are you doing in me first before you want to do it in the congregation, whether it's in this writing of this sermon or this making of this big decision that just takes time you know and so i but i do feel like i don't have the right to ask other people to change or grow unless i've submitted myself to it first and so that's what i'm learning takes so much time and it it may be prayer it may be walking it may be um reading it may be journaling maybe having conversations with folks for me to get my own head around it and my own heart around it i guess and um that just takes so much so much energy
2: so, you talk about needing healthier practices, you know if you want to use your time and energy in the in the right ways or in the best ways. I hate to use efficiency terms, but mm-hmm. uh, that you need healthy practices. You talk about a couple things you say limiting advertisements well how did mm. you how did you do this?
1: Well, I remember one time being offered some kind of free subscription to a magazine and Challenging the, it was like a telesales person on the phone, you know, and saying like, "How can you afford this?" And they said, "Well, actually, magazines are basically just a a forum or a medium for people to to get ads, and all the stuff in between is just to make something between the ads." And at that moment, I was like, "Right, no more magazines for me." <laughs> um, and so, I mean, you can. It's not too hard to cut magazines out of your home. And when I go to the hairdresser or the doctor or whatever, I don't, I don't. I'll read like a news magazine, but. Home and fashion, and all those magazines they 're just built entirely to tell you that you 're not good enough and I remember a moment getting to the end of a, a magazine sitting in the a waiting room somewhere and realizing I feel like my clothes and my house and my body are just no no good like I feel worse now after looking at this i don 't need that. <laughs> Um, well, they probably and, have a
0: few products to make you feel better, Mandy. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, I mean, magazines are easier to cut than online stuff. Yeah, I think it's just it's just good to even be aware of how much those things are bombarding us and how much we pay attention to the messages of them. They're just so they're so subtle that we don't even notice how much they're accusing us, really. You right. Know?
2: right. You know, I, I've often thought about that um, with women's magazines. And this is coming around to a non-sexist point. But I've often thought about that with women's magazines is that, you know, it just creates this whole situation where women feel inadequate in some way. Then I was at the doctor's and I was reading like GQ and it was like, here's like eight essential pieces for your wardrobe that you need and they're only... $800 Eight hundred dollars a piece. I right. was like flabbergasted.
1: <laughs> and they're essentials.
2: They're yeah. I look looked pretty good. I thought I looked pretty good until I read this. And you now, don't, you don't know, have I, one of them, do you? I don't know. Oh, Gosh, I don't have anything in my house that costs eight hundred dollars to go on a
1: shopping trip. <laughs> I think well, yeah. even look like I'm fascinated just to look at the lines on the front pages of magazines. You know, when I'm at the checkout or something. Sure. And all of the language is like implies you must. So it says mm. like get fit in two weeks. Update your wardrobe, or what? Yeah. It, you know, I don't know what all the yeah. language is, but it's like you must do this. It's very demanding, yeah. <laughs> and it's not it's not very pleasant or kind. You know, you wouldn't put up with that from your friends, being telling you all the time, <laughs> "Have you have you done this yet?"
2: Yeah, that's true. So that's it's true.
1: not it's not the voice of the Lord that says, "You are my child, and you are dearly loved as you are, and you are not valued based on your appearance or your productivity." Mm-hmm. So. It's just good to even recognize that.
0: I'm glad that you distinguish between time and energy, mm. right? Because, you know, we're understanding that that not every hour in the day is equal to us. Mm-hmm. And so not only do we have to manage our time, but then we also have to manage our energy mm. uh, as well. And I would imagine there are a lot of our listeners haven't really thought a whole lot about that. You know, you tend to think, well, I've got 24 hours and you know how can i use you know these hours and those hours but mm-hmm. but understanding that some hours of the day are going to be way more uh, profitable and beneficial to us than other hours based on right. based on our energy level at yeah. those different yeah. hours and so yeah, which means what, what, what are you learning ourselves. about that what are you yeah. learning about that is you try to you know manage your time and energy.
1: Yeah, I think it does mean kind of knowing yourself. And given that a pastor's role, it has such a different mix of various kinds of energy. You know, we're doing emailing sometimes, we're doing volunteer coordinating other times where maybe some of us have to do maintenance on the church building even, you know, and um, maybe visiting folks and writing sermons and trying to keep up with our own reading and our own prayer lives. And it's just very different kinds of energy go into those different things. And so... Um, acknowledging like I know that I am best in the morning late at night is never a good time for me to be accomplishing anything and so um, I treasure my mornings and spend spend my time going for a walk and praying and centering myself and kind of reading or reflecting on things then you know meetings are going to take a very different kind of energy and I know that's going to wipe me out as a more introverted person so I don't plan on writing a sermon on the same day when I have a lot of meetings, for example. But I do think that it's good for us to know our own flow and our own rhythm and and what timing in the days and even in the week. You know, Monday is a very different kind of energy than Friday for a preacher. So to be kind to ourselves and to trust that God can work with that. I think this is one of the biggest risks or it's an act of faith, I think, to trust that if we attend to our needs as human beings, that God will somehow still allow us to get the things done that we need to get done. And so to take the risk, this is what Sabbath is too, you know, to take time out to care for ourselves or to take time every morning to pray um, or exercise or whatever we need to do. It's a risk to say, okay, I could be writing emails right now or I could be doing something that I get credit for and that people can say, oh, yes, look how productive that person is. But instead, I'm going to attend to the presence of the Lord in my own life and in the world around me. And the more that I have taken that luxury, so to speak, the more it's become not a luxury, the more it's become a necessity. And the more I am so blessed to find that I'm more fruitful. I don't know if I would say I'm more productive (laughs) necessarily, but... You know, I'm not getting more things done, but I think there's a richness to what I am accomplishing. It just re- reminds me that if I take time to trust that the spirit is at work in the world, then that spirit goes back with me into the work that I'm doing and is is fueling everything that I do. So, But so, it, it does feel risky.
0: So fruitfulness and productivity are not necessarily in the same ballpark.
1: Yeah, I think there's a distinction to be made. The productivity feels like... What you measure a factory does, you know, yeah. Um, and fruitfulness is what a tree does, you know, and that's a mess that's a metaphor that we see throughout scripture. That somehow, I guess, the flourishing of the tree is connected to the fruit that it bears. That if it is healthy, then beautiful fruit can be born from that tree, whereas a factory. You don't care. There's no health involved with the factory. You just have to tune it and keep it oiled or whatever is going on with the cogs and the wheels. You know, it doesn't have health. It's not allowing the product to grow from its very self like a
0: a plant. we We have productivity apps and we have productivity tools. But even in the ministry world, we don't really have fruitfulness apps or fruitfulness tools, <laughs> you know, but that's...
1: Jesus, Jesus is our fruitfulness app.
0: Right, right, abiding <laughs> in the vine. I mean, that's that's yeah. something for us pastors to think about. Do we want to be productive or do we want to be fruitful? Mm-hmm. Um, I, they're not necessarily the same. And I think right. in our culture, of course, we deify productivity as, it. you know, we need to worship at the altar of productivity, When maybe God's just saying, you know, you worship at my altar and I'll make you fruitful.
1: Right. And I mean, I'm not saying that we shouldn't get things done. I don't want to just like feel like I'm floating around on a cloud all day. I do answer my emails and I do, (laughs) I do get, you know, I do get things done, but it's, which comes first, I guess, in our values and which is, which I think that the fruitfulness motivates the productivity, Um, not the other way around.
2: Well, you answered my email very very quickly, Mandy. So I appreciate. Oh well,
1: I'm glad that. to hear it. I actually, <laughs> I feel like email is like whack a mole. It's just like you're constantly <laughs> whacking away at that. That's you know. Funny.
2: Well, that ties this whole conversation ties right into your final point here, in Chapter Ten, which is how vulnerable pastors measure success. And you kind of draw a line. And again, we're making things sound so right dichotomous, and there's always truth in the middle, but. Uh, you kind of draw a line between b- the business world and the business practices and church, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, we're not about efficiency and success in terms of the business world, right? And then you say, we're not the kind of shopkeeper pastors that Eugene Peterson warns about. What is what is the shopkeeper pastor?
1: Mm. I guess um, in the business world, not that I have a problem with business, so to speak, but um, I do think that the church has been informed by management, business management, in the last generation or so in a way that we're not really critical of or thoughtful about. And so we just have to be careful how much of what we learn there can can rightfully be used within church measurement. And so I guess the difference is that if we are talking about hearts restored to God, how do you measure that? You know, And so the business world wants to measure success. In things that you actually can measure, whether it's you know they say the three Bs—bodies, buildings, and budgets—is what we're often measuring. And the, not that those things aren't connected somehow to the work of the spirit in people's lives, but we just have to be really careful. And it's it's very humbling to know that what is going on in any human's life or in any community's life is an ongoing process throughout the course of their entire lives and at what point do we ever stop and say okay that one's done <laughs> you know right and so that's that's where the reliance on god goes and so you know oftentimes we measure ministry success in terms of stories of of how something is flourishing how something is moving in the right direction as opposed to landing or or having something that we can necessarily measure in as much as we would love to be able to and just so you know i'm a perfectionist i'm a recovering perfectionist and so this (laughs) is not for want of trying to do to be able to measure and and control and quantify everything i would love to be able to do that but it just hasn't that's just not the way it works
2: you almost suggest here that rest is a measurement of Success. You say that you're. It's a joke at your church that you You walk around to your associate pastors and ask them if they're getting enough rest. Mm-hmm. That's that feels pretty counterintuitive. Jeff Jeff always asks me, "Have you been working at least 19 hours a day and only <laughs> getting five hours of sleep?" It's but he's a lie. kind of a taskmaster, so. <laughs>
1: I need other people to be asking me that as much as I have to ask other people that because everything in our culture tells us we're never getting enough done. I mean, yes, Sabbath is radical. And, you know, I know that Sabbath is something that is in the Old Testament and I don't think it's a legalism. And I am surprised sometimes when I talk about it and people are like, you can't make me rest. This is the New Testament now. We don't have those laws anymore. And I'm like, (laughs) you're fighting. You're fighting with the idea of having a break, you know. So, um. But for me, it is when we want to learn to be generous and not to value money. The best thing we can do is give money away, and it's incredibly painful. And by the same token, if we want to value not putting our value in how much we produce, then um, it's going to be the same kind of discomfort. You know, the best way that we learn is through discomfort sometimes. And so, uh, in the Old Testament, it says even when the fruit is 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 full, even when the trees are full, even in the harvest time, and we don't have an agricultural life, so we don't really get that. But if if you've got a couple of days to be harvesting this fruit and it's going to rot if you don't take it off today, you still have to take Sabbath. I mean, that's hard. That's hard to do because that might yes. affect your livelihood. And that's saying, well, the Lord is going to provide. And so I don't think they had it any harder back then than we have now to rest. It looks very different, of course, but um, it's the day when we... I actually realize that wrestling is actually what I'm often doing when I'm trying to rest, because I'm wrestling to set aside my own efforts to get stuff done, and I'm constantly just kind of emptying of my own desire to look control, to look in control and to look accomplished. and it's hard work to rest, actually, but it's a good it's a good habit. This
2: is so, it seems so counterintuitive and it's so countercultural. And I think even within the church culture, what we really hear, maybe not in these words, but what we hear over and over and over is work as hard as you possibly can Mm -hmm. and trust God with the rest. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And you're saying trust God at the outset Mm. and then admit where you are not strong enough. And admit where you are not good enough, and find other people <laughs> who are also not strong enough. Right, not it good forces
1: enough. us to need one another too. Yeah,
2: I mean, what a what an idea! I, this is I seriously very. It, this flies in the face of so much of what us and I would say it flies in the face of what small church pastors are told that they need Mm -hmm. to do in order to become large church pastors which is obviously the end game that we all want right it's it's you're coming alongside and you're changing the narrative
1: it really forces some deep theological questions like do we believe that the spirit of God is at work in his church and cares as at least as much as we do about the growth of his church and do we trust that if we rely on him, if we rest in him, that he might actually prompt us into ways that will bring fruit for the people in this community. It's a big risk, but I I am yet to be disappointed. It's hard. I won't tell you it's easy, yeah. but um, it it's the way that I have found that this doesn't just feel like a job. It's not just getting stuff done and bringing people into the church for the sake of growing a church. It feels every day like relying on the Lord and inviting other people to rely on the Lord with me. And so what my job now becomes is not being the strong one that everybody puts their hope in, which is idolatry, really. What I have come to see is that it's my job to model what it means to trust the Lord. What what better leadership can we have, right, than then constantly coming back to to our people and saying, "Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> Let's follow the Lord together in that." Or, yeah. "Hmm, yeah, that's a big problem. Let's pray together." You know, and um, mm. it's hard to let that kind of—it seems more personal—but th- I think that's the best thing that we can do—is—is um, is show people our reliance on Lord. And sometimes that's hard. It's hard to let that be seen because sometimes we don't feel strong. But as far as I know, well, that's all I know how to do, honestly. <laughs>
0: Mandy, you start out and you sound so like, you know, casual and matter of fact when you're talking, <laughs> and I already know I'm going to use, I'm going to use this term when I write the blog post for this episode, but that Mandy is surprisingly and refreshingly deep, uh, and you just talked about the- theological depth. These things are, I mean, these things are, it goes to our relationship with God. You just mm-hmm. talked about idolatry, you know, mm-hmm. if 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 we're the ones that are the important ones People are looking to us and putting their trust in us when we need to be pointing people to God as the big one and the important one and have people put their trust in him. And we humanly walk with the people that we, sh- that we shepherd and we try to you know, show them the vulnerability that we have
1: mm-hmm. is,
0: is really rooted in our faith in a God who is ultimately capable to do yeah. the things that we can't do. So really good stuff. And I I know that uh, I know that our listeners, as we've gone through this episode, have they've really been looking inward and thinking, how does this affect me? And I guess I would say I can just feel it culturally. I could feel all the shoulds, all Hmm. the shoulds coming from this kind of an episode and Mm. thinking, well, I should think this way and I should do this or that maybe rethink that and maybe uh, lay the shoulds down and just uh, think about how God, like you said, how God looks at us and mm. says, hey, I love you already.
1: Yep. And I should say the story that I tell in the book it's probably a year or two of walking through this bit by bit and trying to figure out what this really looks like. And so one of the things that I think might be helpful, um, I'm not interested in selling the book for the sake of selling it, but if, if this sounds, um, hopeful to somebody, but they're like, Oh my goodness, where do I even begin? That's why I wanted to write the book to, sh- to actually walk people through step by step. And there were reflection questions throughout yeah. to actually stop and say, all right, what would this look like in my context? And so since I had probably about two years to figure it out, you know, it is some pretty deep reflection and some serious life change and also some, like you say, countercultural, counterintuitive stuff. So um, I want to be a friend (laughs) along the way in that and actually help people figure out what that might look like. So if you're overwhelmed by all those different ways of seeing things, then, then that's what that's for.
2: Well, thank you so much, Mandy, for hanging out with us. And this will probably go live the Wednesday before the Awakenings gathering.
0: I think so. I think so. So, so Episode
2: 223. So you'll be there. We'll be there. Some of our listeners will be there. And hopefully we can all join hands and sing Kumbaya at some point. Very nice.
1: Yeah. Very nice.
2: (laughs) Thanks for joining us,
0: Mandy.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, Mandy Smith. Always encouraging. And incredible content.
2: I'm looking forward to showing off my terrible drawing skills with her. Oh, yeah. You're going to do this uh, this workshop, this yes. art
0: workshop thing with her. Art
2: and prayer somehow intertwining together. And I, I can draw stick figures pretty good. That's me. That's about the extent are crooked, of it. So, but I'm excited. It's going to push me out of my comfort zone a little bit. That's going to be a good time.
0: So as we record this intro and outro for this episode, it's the week of... The Awakenings, the awakenings conference, conference. Yeah. conference.
2: Gathering, I think they call it. but Something like that. Whatever. It's And I'm excited. I'm starting to get real excited about the opportunity to talk to some of these people in person, put some names to faces, guys like David Fitch, Mandy Smith, Tara Beth Leach is somebody we're going to have on the podcast in the future. Tommy Wright. Maybe Tommy Wright. That would be a yeah. real dream come true. So um just it's going to be very cool, very fun, and I'm excited to learn a lot and just kind of have my horizons expanded, as it were.
0: Well, it's a group of theologians, thinkers, and pastors. Yeah, you know who are considering some pretty important concepts, theological concepts that intersect with the culture. It's my people. How should we then live? Yeah, right type of a thing.
2: You know who talks a lot about that and is a friend of Mandy Smith, Walter Brueggemann. Walter Brueggemann. Now. He's we, getting up there, isn't he? I well, we'll have to find out when is we he talk still to alive? him. Jeff, is he still he's alive? He's absolutely still alive, and he agreed to be on our podcast. Get panel, out, so, yeah, Walter yes. Brueggemann. Mandy Smith was such a kind person, and she she put in a good word with Walter Brugeman. I feel silly saying it well, almost like Walter. Oh yeah, with Walter,
0: Walter <laughs> like, of all places, he lives in Cincinnati. That's incredible, and he's been connected with Mandy, and they've they've worked together on just a couple things. And Mandy told us, and we said, "Hey, we've been wanting to see if we could get Walter Brueggemann, uh, great theologian, you're great about the, Bible scholar. Yeah,
2: you're talking about the like preeminent Old Testament scholar, yeah, you know, yeah. alive today. author That's incredible. of the." Prophetic imagination. imagination, prophetic imagination. Yeah. That's a great book. And
0: so, so you you emailed him.
2: Yeah, she said, she gave me his email. She said, "Hey, I paved the path for you. Here's his email address, and I, you know you can email him." He says he's a little interested. I emailed him, and he got right back to me, and we set something up. So, when is it? Dreams do come true.
0: <laughs> is it in a couple weeks, or yeah, is it, it's not this week? Is it? No,
2: <laughs> you're like, no? oh no, I got to get ready. No, no it's in two do. I weeks. wish it were this week. <laughs> Man, it's gonna be exciting. Very exciting stuff.
0: Cool well we 're you know we try to get we want to talk to these people right right, but, but we want to be able to share it you know if you don 't do a podcast if you 're not a podcast creator uh, or participant um, maybe if you 're an artist, you would understand this or an author you would understand this, maybe even a pastor as you prepare a sermon, you get to share it with people you would understand it, but to have the conversation one on one. There's a there's a bit of for me for me personally there's a bit of selfishness to it that if I just have it just for me and I don't record it I literally sat down with oh, a guy man. in New York State all I want is to
2: have private conversations to, oh no no, no. <laughs> all the things that I can't say on the podcast two, so two weeks ago dinner.
0: two weeks ago my buddy Joe Jansen yeah. from Elam Bible Fellowship in Lima New York he's been on episodes before two hundred episode yeah. I don't know 170, 180 something. And uh, I sat down for lunch with him a couple weeks ago. We were talking, and I said to him, "Oh man, I wish I had a I had a recorder right here at the table." That's funny. We're talking about important stuff that uh, that small church pastors would would benefit from listening to. You're a good man, and I wanted to record it. So You're a good man. So it's like double it's double indemnity rewards when you get <laughs> to record the conversation and then yeah. share it with pastors. It's gonna be a lot of fun. It's makes gonna be it makes it very special. Very special. So that's in a few weeks. But Mandy Smith, thank you so much for what you did. And we're looking forward to meeting you at the gathering. Uh, And again, you, if you happen to be listening to this, the day it comes out would be the day before the conference. Yeah. Uh, We're going to be there. So again, look for the two guys that don't look like they go together and they're laughing and having a good time. That would be us. Yeah. And we'd love to meet you and say hello to you. Hope that we don't destroy your image of us by actually meeting us, but we will run that risk. Hey, We will see you next week on the 200 Churches Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe at 200churches.com and receive the guy's free PDF download called Our 7 Favorite Ministry Resources. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with another brand new shiny episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 church.
2: Do your thing where you're oh, oh where you're real pastoral and you're like, hey, listen with open ears. Oh <laughs> You all, you're always very helpful. Okay. Jeff. People get upset about okay. this stuff. Not everybody's as cool as you, man.
0: My wife wanted to know if I joke about stuff in a way that maybe people would be offended. <laughs> Probably I don't think like so. I don't think so. I think Johnny would I said, but we're sometimes are we assuming that the people that are listening know? What if it's their first time listening to an episode?
2: You'll be doing it as devil's advocate. And you, right. you were never flippant about, like. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, thank you,
1: Mandy, yeah, this time. is good. Can't wait to meet you face face next week. Yeah, yeah. If you see me, just holler. All right, take care. Bye-bye.